my name's Aaron Clark. I'm a elder here at Restoration, and I have had a technology mishap this morning. So I don't know where this is going to go. I didn't intend to have this thing sitting here like this, but you'll, we'll just have to go with it. So anyway, we were at uh, um, Kevin and Sam's house uh, a couple of months ago going through uh, elder stuff, and Kevin asked if anybody wanted to help uh, preach this series on James, and this particular um, portion of James has always been kind of special to me, and so I, uh, I uh, took, it, uh, took it upon myself to be able to do that, and he thought I was preaching last week, and I thought I was preaching this week, and so he, he, uh, he sent a text out to all the elders at the end of last week thinking that maybe he should speak about, you know, the election and who our king is and where our leadership lies, and boy, it really worked out well, because when I got nothing. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be together this morning. We're grateful to have this time. We're grateful, Father, to have your word and and the the perfection of it, Lord. You say that it doesn't return to you void, and and I'm a a poor purveyor of that. But I I pray, Lord, uh, today that we would learn what your word has for us, that you would uh, honor us with your presence, that we would learn what you have, and in all things we'll be quick to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, like I said, I'm having a technology problem. Um, I live in Gleed. My wife and I, we live in Gleed with our kids, and, and uh, there used to be a kingdom hall down the road from us, and uh, so we get a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses come by, and, and uh, when, when that happens, when they come to see us, we, uh, we invite them in and have some pie, and I wouldn't recommend that, but that's what we do. And uh, they never, ever come back, um, except one guy, Dick Bledsoe. Dick Bledsoe was my friend, and he was, I always think of James when I think about him, because he always liked to talk about James. His dad was a a pastor who couldn't reconcile um, eternal judgment. He couldn't reconcile the fact of a literal hell, and so he left the church as a young uh, pastor and uh, joined what was the new uh, Jehovah's Witness movement in the 20s, and Dick grew up in that. And he and I used to talk about this a whole lot. Uh, he's gone now, and I, I have hope that I'll see him in glory. But I, I uh, we talked about a lot of a, a lot of things and about the importance of works in our life and the importance of of what we do with our faith. But we'll just have to see. God knows. It's been said before. Um, but the thing you just have to love about the book of James is how practical it is. And it just speaks to us where we are. It, it's not really very difficult to figure out. James is just really upfront with things as he says, as he speaks to us. In his letter, James is, the Lord has used James to speak to us about the trials of our life, the trials that come upon us, the importance of watching what we say, uh, the encouragement to not just be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of his word as well. He's spoken to us about impartiality and the importance of treating people all the same, not to show favoritism based on a worldly stature that God doesn't recognize anyway. The important outcome of our faith and good works. That was what Dick and I used to talk about a lot. His take, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses' take, was that we work so that we can earn salvation. But but we know that, that, um, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So we... We work because of what, has all, God, what God has already accomplished in our lives. 
James has encouraged us to watch how we speak and pay attention to what we say. He's told us the difference between the characteristics of people who, who live and act the way the world would have us act and the way we are to act influenced by the wisdom of God, which, which is a life characterized by purity and peacefulness and gentleness and reasonableness and mercy and good works, unwavering, not hypocritical. And if you know me, you know that we don't have to do all those things all the time because I'm a Christian and I, I really mess up on some of those things sometimes. It's not, about, it's not about being perfect in our conduct. It's about growing, becoming more like Christ. We should probably be better today than we were a year ago, but these are things we grow in. And he's spoken to us about the consequences for ignoring God's word and living a life based on our own desires, our own ambitions. In James 5, is which, which is where we're at, James 5, verses uh, 1 through 6. I've got the... Uh, I've got the NASB, and I've got it up here for you, um, James 5, 1 through 3. I know we use ESV, but I was preaching out of, I was looking through this, and I like the language better. So. so this is what James says, James 5, 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. James begins by not necessarily addressing Christians. Of course, the scripture is written for us, but he's speaking rhetorically to unbelievers as a warning and a condemnation without really giving much hope. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty sad thing. Your riches have rotted, your garments have become moth-eaten. It will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you've stored up this treasure. This portion of James speaks about people who have been corrupted by wealth, who have been corrupted by the desire for more. And it's a frightful warning. It's a warning to all of us. And the point is made to all of us, rich or poor, that judgment will come upon people who place their belief and hope in material things, in things that, that only matter here on earth and even don't even matter that much there. People that seek stuff for the betterment of their own lives without regard to other people. And it's not that people are just misguided by devoting themselves to their wealth in the pursuit of more, but that the wealth and riches that they accumulate will be destroyed in a way that consumes them. And you know, um, if you've ever been around a big hot fire, a building fire or something, you can see how it just consumes everything in its path. And at some point, their wealth will stand as a testament to their evil pursuit of riches and ultimately will consume them. That chasing after wealth and stuff after being their lives' work will stand as a testimony to their evil desire for more. That their wealth is stored up in the last days will eventually bring them nothing but misery, heartache, destruction. And he goes on. In verse 4, Behold, now we see why he's so angry. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears 
of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on earth, and you've led a life of wanton pleasure, and you've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. You've lived a life of wanton pleasure. James is hard on people because he's speaking because they've lived this life. And when he's talking about living this life of wanton pleasure, he's not just talking about, you know, having a good life. He's, live, he's talking about taking the wealth that they have and the power that they have and living a life that is just totally and completely about them. That they take this money and, and, this, and these resources and they spend it on them to the point of vice, to the, the point of, of depravity. It says they fattened themselves, they've cheated, they've defrauded, they've killed. They live in a self-indulgent way, only caring about themselves and laying waste to people as they build their own empire. They victimize people who did not have the power to resist them. And they've used their wealth and their power as a weapon to not only defraud people, but to steal the very essence of who they are and all that they are. And then to walk away and to leave them to suffer. All of these charges are made with reference to certain days, to the last days. Which is a a picture of of the time when when Christ will come back. We're living in the last days. It's a picture of of the end of times. And it says that that the rust will consume them. It says that that they have lived luxuriously. It it says that they will be condemned and put to death. There's nothing good going to happen toward the outcome of people who live their lives like that. People who attempt to gather more and more earthly wealth and possessions that from from an eternal perspective are really not worth much. And if we look at the end of of verse 6, we see this major irony that the people who the rich are oppressing, they're not even putting up a fight. They're being oppressed and defrauded. They're, they're being killed. And they don't even resist. In James 2.6, James talks about people being drugged into the courts. And, you know, I think this happens even now. If you think about, if you have a legal dispute against somebody of power or somebody with wealth, I think we've got a great court system, but it's very hard to get justice in that because they can just out, outlast you. When we look at the point that the wealthy defrauded their workers by withholding their pay, these people were day laborers. We think of in terms now that we go get a job and we work in that job. If we lose that job or quit that job, we go seek another job. We go there every day. But these people were day laborers. They didn't have any money. They went out every day to find work, get paid every day, so that they could have food to eat that night. And the harvest was going on and these people would employ, these rich would employ these people and then not pay them. So they'd stack up a couple of days of owed pay and what are you going to do? You've got to go back. If you don't go back, you're not going to get paid at all. So they abused these people. And not being paid for a couple of days when you have absolutely nothing. It's just devastating. So James speaks about the despicable nature of these people. Of the people who want more at the expense of others and are willing to do almost anything to get it. And as we read this account, we ourselves are angry and we're bothered by the depravity and the aggression of people that we can think about even now. Because we can think about these people in our, in our town. Maybe people that we 
know in our communities, maybe people we know in our state or in our country or in our world, and it infuriates us, and it infuriated James. We think about people who, would, who we would identify as being aggressive and self-glorifying, who have aspirations only for themselves and nobody else. But the Scripture has to be applicable to us, all of us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably see some of these shortcomings in our own life at certain times, tendencies in our own life. I grew up in, uh, I grew up in Wapato. My family is uh, in the orchard business. Um, I was, I'm a farmer. My daddy was a farmer. My granddaddy was a farmer. My great-granddaddies were farmer. I am thinking we are probably breaking the... Yes, dear. No. No. But we'll talk about it after. So we're all farmers. My family's all farmers. And probably going to break the cycle of addiction now, I think. Because I don't think my kids are going into it. I surely haven't encouraged them to. When I was growing up, the, the farming thing was a very quaint little deal. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice little thing. Our industry was really smaller, much smaller. And there was a lot of guys like my, like my dad who, who farmed these small to moderate acreages and, and, uh, and they, uh, they maybe worked out a little bit. Most of my friends, folks, they farmed too. And, and, uh, and there were families in our community that had, had some wealth, at least we thought they did. But looking back, I don't know if anybody really had very much. After high school, I went to college for two quarters, and I ran out of money. I wasn't a very good student anyway, but I ran out of money, and uh, so I went to work in Sunnyside with a shovel in my hand digging ditches. And people say that, right? They said, oh, yeah, I went to work digging ditches. I went to work digging ditches, literally digging ditches. First job is I had to dig a ditch from about here to that black apron there. And that's what I did for a couple of years. And there is nothing like digging ditches that makes you look around and think that things might be a little better. And I started looking around, and I started looking around at people who were doing better, at least how I define better. I looked around at people who had a more attractive life, at least the way I defined a more attractive life. And I started to look for opportunities to do better. I started to look for opportunities to, you know, have a job with maybe a little more prestige or more pay. I remember I got a job, was digging ditches that spring, and, and uh, the guy told me, you know, you got to get to cherry harvest and you want to you get a job loading trucks because you can really make a lot of money loading trucks. That's what you want. You get a lot of hours. So I got the job loading trucks. Well, we only had one lift and we had 60 acres of cherries. So there was a lot of cherries to load. The first week I worked 101 hours and I took home a check that was just slightly over $300. And I thought, Oh, my land, I've got $300. I thought, all I had to do was work 101 hours. I, this is awesome. I could do this forever. But you can't do that forever. And I looked at the guys around me that were doing better, and I started to want that. I started to, to look for opportunities, and, and I started to have a little success. And I got a lot of help along the way. We all do. Um. And as things started to come my way, I kind of felt this connection to my family. It was a funny thing, because like I said, all my family had been farmers, and I started to kind of feel this connection with the history of my family and kind of this 
cool thing that I, w- I could talk business with my, with my dad. But I'll never forget when I was, I'd worked a while and I got sent, I was working for this company and they sent me to this meeting which is held in, in uh, what is now the Union Gospel Mission in Rick's Phillips' office. And we were sitting there with some guys from the industry, and it hit me. It hit me that I wasn't in the apple industry to be a farmer because those guys weren't in the apple industry to be a farmer. Those guys were all talking about how they were going to get ahead, how they, things were gonna, how they were going to make it happen, how they were going to make this and make that. And the business that I had romanticized about being part of my family's heritage, I don't know if it ever existed at all, but it certainly wasn't going to exist. The business I was going into is the industry I still work in. It's based on one thing, and that's just making money, just turning orchards into apple factories. I started to look at the world and my work and my vocation in a really worldly way. And the people who I had been in the ditch with three or four years ago and been working with alongside the guys who were my compadres, the guys I drank beer with as a young man, the guys I hung with as a young guy, they didn't seem like they were all that important to me anymore. As I started to move ahead, I started to think about how I could generate cash, how I could be somebody. I began to define success in life as getting to the top of some heap, which I wasn't even sure about what heap I was trying to get to the top of. Now, I'm a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old through the witness of a buddy of mine. And, and I believe that Jesus came to this earth and died and paid, this, paid for the sins of you and me for all time. I believe that he was crucified and buried, raised on the third day, and I believe he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for those who love him. But in my work life, I'm also a capitalist. I believe in hard work and I believe in the value of work. I think work's a good thing. God gives us that. I think it's it's an appropriate thing. And I don't think that the problem with most people is that they work too hard. I think the problem is that they don't. Um, That's just me. I mean, I'm I'm an old guy probably. I'm older here than I am here. Um, But if I have one more millennial come to me and want to talk about family life work balance and ask me how much vacation they get before we even get started working, I think I'm just going to jump off the roof. It just drives me insane. Okay? I get frustrated with that. I want to talk about excellence in work. I want to talk about how we're going to build something together. I believe profits are a good thing. I think when we get our paychecks, I think that's a good thing. That's a reward for work. Well done. I think if you're a business owner and you get profits, that's a reward for work well done. Nothing wrong with making a buck. I think that's an okay thing. But if we make money on the backs and the expense of others, if we do not treat people honorably and equitably as we generate profits and as we do our work and as we handle our finances, if we are unkind and if we are stingy with the resources that God has given us, then we dishonor the Lord and we cause Him grief. And we risk bringing God's wrath down upon ourselves. And if we spend all the money we earn on ourselves and we're unwilling to share the wealth, that God has given us, be it great or small, with those less fortunate in support of the church and with employees or, or people who just need it, then we're essentially stealing from God. And, and there's going to be a cost for that someday. And that's what these people were doing, of who James is speaking. 
It's clear that as we read the scripture, God's primary concern for the whole world is that they would come to know his son as their savior, that they would come to know that we would come into relationship with Jesus. But very close behind that is our physical well-being. God cares about the world and he cares about us and he cares about people who don't have and it is the responsibility of people who do to see to those needs. But I didn't always understand that. Maybe you haven't always understood that. I began to grow in my faith during my 20s. And in my 20s, something really cool happened in my life. My dad and my sister both came to know Jesus as their Savior. They'd see me going to church, and I would sit in the living room with a crayon in my hand and mark my Bible that I still have. And we started to talk about things, and they came to know Jesus. It had absolutely nothing to do with me. And their lives have been like this, and mine's been a little like this, and yours probably has too. But it was this scripture, this James 5 scripture, this very one we read this morning, that, that God used to convict my pop, to convict my dad of his sin and his need for a savior. My dad was a good guy, is a good guy. People love my dad. Um, he's lots of fun and, and he likes people and people like him and he wasn't all that easy to grow up under but he's not here let's just keep that between us um, but my dad's a great guy and my dad was, a, was an employer my dad ran orchards for this company and I worked for my dad and, uh, and people loved him they did, they liked him but he was convicted that there was something in his heart that he was not letting go of that he was not treating people the way that James encourages us to, that he, there was something about the people, the discussion of the people in the fields that was pulling at his heart. So he gave his life to Jesus and it changed his life and it began to influence mine. And I began to look at business differently and I began to look at people differently and I realized that all of us are responsible. We are all responsible, you and I, for treating people with dignity and honor and justice. So now I work for this fruit company and, and I kind of do what my dad used to do and I have an employer and I'm accountable to him. And he's a great guy. I enjoy him. I found him to be an honorable man. I found him to be honest and he's been kind to me. But I'm employed for one reason. And that reason is at the end of the year when we tally all the numbers that we never use a red pen. That it's black at the bottom. I'm employed to make money for him. That's what I do. And if I am to honor him, and if I am to conduct myself in a way that shows Jesus to him, then I need to exercise those duties faithfully. I need to handle his affairs well. It needs to be my goal every day. But our challenge, we all have that challenge. You know, if, if we have work, and we're working for people, then we have a responsibility to do that work well, as under the Lord, that we would work well. And if that business is about making cash, which... Businesses are, unless you're working for a nonprofit. Then that's what we're to do. We're to do that well. If we don't have work and we're looking for work, God will provide that if we look. He desires for us to work. But the challenge is to do it with this scripture in mind. The challenge is to do it with the purpose of using what God has given us for his glory and for people's benefit. To be a good employee, to be a good owner. 
to see to the bottom line while at the same time instilling a culture to the best of our ability where people are cared for and treated well and and, and we have to remind ourselves of that often because we don't want to do that naturally. Naturally, we want to do what's good for us. That's the, whole, that's the whole hiccup in coming to know Jesus is we want to be our own God. We want to do our own things for ourselves. But the, res- the responsibility to handle wealth well, this, the responsibility to handle money well, is not just for the person who's well healed. It's not just for the business owner or, or the person of means. We live in the United States. It's one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And the poorest among us is better than a lot of people in the world. We're accountable for what God's chosen to do for us, give us. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells this story of a king. And this king had a man who owed him money. And he called the man before him and he says, I need you to pay me what you owe me. Or I'm going to sell your family. I'm going to put you in prison until you pay. I'm not sure how that worked. You know, slam the guy in prison until he could get the money to pay. You would think he would just go ahead and pay if he had it. Never figured that one out. But that's what the king told the fellow. And the guy threw himself at the mercy of the king and he said, you know, please don't do that. And the king, the scripture says, had, had compassion on him. And the king let him go. He said, go ahead. Just, your debt's forgiven. Go. But the first man went out and he found a second man who owned him a vastly smaller sum of money. And he had that man jailed until he could pay his debt to him. The servants of the king heard about that. And he called. They called the man back. king called the man back. The scripture says that he had him put in prison and tortured until he could pay. Because he'd acted wickedly. In that account, it is not the wealthy man who was the dishonorable one. It was the man of lesser means. We all have what God has given us to have. We know the story of that. We know the wickedness of the second man. He just couldn't get by, even though he had been forgiven a great debt. We need to be very careful to examine our hearts and be honest and fair and forthright. We need to not hoard the things that God has given us. We, we need to hold them loosely like you'd hold a small animal or a bird or something where, where God can get at what we have, what he has given us quickly. There's another application, I think, that builds upon what, what Kevin said last week. Um, Kevin said that, he was talking about the, the, uh, the importance of social justice and, and who the responsibility, where the responsibility for that lies. And it lies on us. It lies on the church. One of my personal convictions is that a lot of parachurch organizations would not exist if the church would, did what it was responsible to do. It's of vital importance that we stand with people who can't protect themselves. That we, that we call out those in our society who would abuse those less fortunate. That we would take seriously the inherent evil and the desire to accumulate more and more and more stuff at the expense of, of our society and its people. And that doesn't mean that we stand for wicked things. It doesn't mean that we don't call out sin when we see it. But it doesn't matter if the person is a believer or not. We can be kind and decent and generous with people. There shouldn't be any, any condemnation from us regarding that. Jesus came to earth and he lived a sinless life so that he could go to the cross and pay the penalty for your sins and mine. He did so living in poverty when he could have rightly been the king he is. 
He was a king, but he could have lived high on earth had he wanted to. He was compassionate. He was humble. He was faithful. Caring for the people who were in his sphere at the expense of his own time and resources. He gave of himself and gave of himself and gave of himself to the point that he sacrificed his life for you and I. And had it just been you or had it just been me, he'd have done the same thing. He did it for us individually. We can't do everything for all people. But we can do something for somebody. We can do something for those people who God brings into our life by divine appointment and He doesn't bring them in times when it's convenient or easy. He doesn't bring them when when things are always good. Sometimes He brings them when things are bad. But considering what He saved us from And what he has saved us to. How can we do less? We live in a wicked and perverse world. And there are many people who. um, Who live lives. At the very edge of their ability to live that. Taking care of only themselves. We also have people in our society. And in our world. Who use the gospel as a hammer and a tool whereby to get wealth and then to spend it on themselves. It's no different than when James was writing this. And we can't do things about everybody that's out there, but we can change our own perspective on things. Because if we're all honest, we do that. We take ownership of what is not rightfully ours to own. And we take care of ourselves at the expense of others instead of the other way around. And if you don't do that, that's awesome, but I do sometimes. God loves us. Jesus has given us so much. He has given everything he can give for us. And all he asks us is to be responsible with what he's done for us. And even if we have nothing, if we have no worldly goods at all, we have the gospel. And we can... We can be generous with that, free to give that away as quickly and as often as we can. Let me pray for you. Father, we recognize that you own all things, that you own everything there is to own. It all belongs to you. And we recognize, Lord, that our own spirits and our own minds and our own wills get in the way of sharing those gifts and of doing the right thing on many occasions. And we ask your forgiveness for that. I pray for the person here this morning, Lord, who needs work. I pray that you would provide that because that's a good thing and you desire that for us. And I pray for the person here this morning who's wondering about your promises and whether you're real or not. And I pray that you'd help them to be able to do business with you this morning also. And for those of us who know you, Father, I pray that we we, we would use your treasure well that we would count it as yours, that we would be quick to help people in need, that we would be quick to to reach out to people. And in all things, Father, we'll be quick to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.